Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. In this episode, we respond to a comment made on Offscript 37, Killing Criminals, in which we took the position that capital punishment is a biblically justifiable practice. But in America today, it is fraught with problems, including the insane cost to have someone on death row, as well as the issue of executing the innocent. Here we respond to the comment of someone named Sean who challenges us on our view of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is challenging the old way of living and laying out a new way. He also makes a couple of secular arguments in favor of capital punishment. Just wanted to quickly mention also that before you listen to this episode, it's probably helpful if you went back to Offscript 37 and listened to our fuller treatment there of capital punishment, because in this episode, we don't do we don't spend a great deal of time laying out a biblical case or expressing the Amnesty International statistics that we used in that other episode. So uh, please, if you haven't yet listened to it, check out episode 37 and recognize that this is a question and answer based on that episode. Uh, just a quick note, please forgive the audio quality. Uh, I was struggling in this episode, apparently, to keep my mouth lined up with the microphone and uh, didn't realize it until later. I've actually upgraded my software since then, and uh, after this next episode, we will not have this problem going forward. In fact, we'll have a higher quality going forward. So please bear with us for this episode and the next one, and then we'll get it squared away after that. Here now is Offscript 45, Should Christians Support Capital Punishment? In Offscript episode 37, Killing Criminals, A Christian View of Capital Punishment, someone with a really great name made a comment. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, actually, I'm not kidding. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> This, uh, someone named Sean made a comment, and not me, a different Sean. There are more than one of us, uh, as it turns out. And he said, I think this discussion has to take a lot more into account, but clearly this would take hours and hours to encompass it all. This is a huge subject, really. Again, this is talking about capital punishment. But for example, such as Abraham saving Lot by killing people to rescue him. This was obviously when there were were less governmental type controls, but the point remains, the most righteous man on earth, the father of faith, killed to save someone. There are also laws about the requirements of helping someone being attacked, which could clearly result in the death of an attacker. I don't think vengeance is the same as self-defense, but many equate these two. I used to. All right, let me pause you right there, Sean, since you've written a few more paragraphs, and I just take these one at a time. First up, this incident with Abraham killing people to save Lot is in the Bible, in Genesis 14, where Cheddar Laomer, they gathered together a coalition of kings and they attacked Sodom, and that's where Lot was, and carried him off and all his possessions. So Abraham went out there and raised an army and did fight, he used violence, no question about it, and it was the right thing to do. I don't think there's a way to get around that. Some people maybe do, but... I accept the biblical incident as written, and my view 
on, for example, loving my enemies or uh, capital punishment is very much influenced by what Jesus taught us. And I, I know we're going to get into that in a second here, but I see with Jesus a real shift occurring as far as what God's people are called to believe and how we're called to live. And as a result of that, I'm not going to condemn Joshua for the conquest of Canaan. I'm not going to condemn anyone who came before that used violence in a proper way, in a righteous way. I'm not talking about like just getting angry and killing someone. Obviously, that's sinful in any period of time. But uh, my point here is that I don't need to condemn someone who was living in a different covenant for being faithful to that covenant. And, and then in his next paragraph, Sean says, And I still have the same objection that seems to arise about Matthew 5 and Jesus. But I say unto you, statements have to do with contradicting the Torah. I don't see this as logical, nor a possible understanding if you believe the Messiah was a sinless man. To have any man come into Israel and start teaching contrary to God's law, even if just in that time period, by definition, would have been sin, and the man would have been ignored or killed. And then he quotes a couple of verses. No one could convict the Messiah of sin. That would have been obvious if that's what he was doing. He had to keep Torah, right? Or do you believe he didn't keep it? That might have to be clarified. All right, Sean, in response to that, I believe Jesus did keep the Torah. When Jesus said, for example, don't take oaths at all, he's not contradicting the Torah. What he's saying instead is calling his followers to a different way of living. So the Torah says that if you, that you have to pay your vows that you make to the Lord. Here, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is saying, don't swear at all. Well, if you don't swear at all, then what the Torah says about swearing is irrelevant to you because you didn't swear in the first place. So he's not, he's not sinning. He's not advising you to go against what the Torah says. For example, in another, in another case with, with respect to violence, it teaches that you're allowed to wage wars with people that uh, you can kill the thief that comes in at night and so on. I mean, there's, there's plenty of provision for violence, but what Jesus says is that you are to love your enemies. So this is not going against what it says. It's elevating it to a higher standard. So Jesus is not recommending that anyone sin or break the Torah. If, if, you, if you love your enemies, it's not breaking the Torah. If you refuse to swear, if you, if you abide by Jesus' commandment about divorce and remarriage, you're not, none of those things are going to break the Torah. None of them are going to be sin from an Old Testament perspective. But they are going to go against or go above what the Torah had required. So when Jesus says, but I say unto you, that is not him abolishing the law, but that is him often intensifying an existing command. So we often say that he raises the bar. It's the idea of going above and beyond that if you're going to follow Jesus, you are called to an even higher standard. Not for your own salvation, out of you know to to keep the law and, and to earn your salvation as a covenant of works, um, but for us who are believers as an expression of devotion to the one who has saved us. So thank you, Rose. I'm agreeing with Sean then that Jesus did keep the Torah, and that how he taught us to live did not defy the Torah or break the Torah, but it's it's a new way of living. It is new wine and new wineskins. Jesus is not the same as Moses. Jesus, according to Hebrews, is better than Moses. And he offers a better way of living. And look, once Jesus has come, we're not free to go on, go on living as if we're under the Torah anymore. We're under the, the Torah of Christ, if you will. 
And you know, if you if you study the the Gospel of Matthew, it's is he's got five blocks of teaching, just like the Torah had five books. Jesus spent forty days out in the desert, just like Moses did. Jesus goes up on the mount to deliver a sermon, just like Moses went up on the on Mount Sinai and came down and told the people how to live. I mean, there are, I think, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, a lot of parallels. But then Hebrews makes that point very clear that Jesus is better than Moses, and G- and and that if the the commandments mediated by angels, referring to the Torah itself, uh, were punishable by death. How much worse do you think it would be if you defy what the Son of God has taught us? So I, I'm, I'm going to stick with Jesus. If he teaches something different than what the Torah taught, I'm going to go with Jesus on it because in the end, he's my rabbi. So as far as the next paragraph goes, the secular arguments are based on the risk of human error. By those types of standards, no one should drive automobiles either because thousands of people die each year innocently due to the error of, the op- of other operators. As sad as the situation is, there's always a risk of human error or corruption, and God still gave the death penalty in his Torah. The young man seems to be arguing against God's own commands. So I guess that's not you, Rose. <laughs> must be either Dan um, or me. I never argue <laughs> against God's commands. Yeah, and how does, he, how does he know our age anyhow? Uh, that's, that's interesting. Well, we talk, about, we talk about how old we are, kind of, approximately. Okay. Well, there you have it. The young man seems to be arguing against God's own commands. Whoa. And one also must address the many assumptions that are built into his objections against capital punishment. To say, quote, it costs more, end quote, to prosecute for the death penalty versus lifetime of prison is not the point. Even if it were, it's still proper justice according to God's laws. God never said to hold anyone in confinement for the entire life. It also likely wouldn't cost more if there weren't so many other regulations in place that make it that much more expensive. It's morally reprehensible to pay for convicted murderers to continue to live on our own backs for their lifetime. Yeah, it's also morally reprehensible to kill innocent people, for the state to kill innocent people. So, I, I you know, I think he's calling me out there. And what I would say to that is um, my objection to capital punishment is mostly for that reason that unless the system is going is going to be perfect i can't support a system in which state sanctioned killing occurs and a certain number of those actions kill innocent people mm-hmm. so i mean he's talking about god's law and yes i believe that the word sanctions governments to kill but i think our system as it is presently is is a flawed system to to the degree that i would rather i'm more comfortable with my faith in taking the position of, of allowing them to live, allowing God to possibly work in their life and avoid altogether the prospect of killing people who are falsely accused of these heinous crimes. Well, I think there's also the issue of this whole heavy emphasis on Torah. I'm I'm guessing that Sean is a Torah observant Christian. Doesn't sound like a Jewish name. Just saying. (laughs) Uh, my guess is that Sean's a Torah observant Gentile. That's kind of an interesting combination of features because even if you go up to the most Orthodox Jew on the planet and say, "Hey, I'm a Gentile. Should I keep the Torah?" They would say, "No. Why would you keep the Torah?" <laughs> uh, I've actually had this conversation with an Orthodox Jew, and I'm like, "According to your beliefs, how would I be saved? How would I be, you know, invited into the Olam Haba, the, the kingdom, the, the age to come?" And uh, what she said to me was, "You just have to keep the Noahide laws." And you know, I've, t- I've talked to several that are that that confirm the same thing. And these are not like Gentiles who are practicing the law. These are Jews who are like so many generations, 
you know, into practicing the law and they know what they're talking about. So I think that's really a question. Why would a Christian Gentile practice the law? I mean, obviously there's nothing wrong with doing it, but as soon as you start saying, well, the law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai for the nation of Israel as a covenant with those particular people during that time period uh, should dictate what a Gentile nation in a pluralist society should do when we have other penalties available to us. I mean, it's just like, it's too much of a, too much of a jump. Now, if you're living in Israel today, they still don't live by the Torah either. <laughs> so it's like, what are we even talking about here? Mm-hmm. Um, and we, like I said before, I'm pro Torah, I'm pro the whole Bible, but my rabbi is Jesus and how he interprets it and what he says to do, even if it's different than what came before it because it, it's elevated or it's just a third way that is not just the black and white that was before it. Whatever he says to do is where I'm going to go. And the way Jesus teaches is, is different on this subject than what had come before. So if I'm going to follow Jesus, I want to do it the way he said, rather than the way the institution was set up in the, in the old covenant. Now, does that mean that I'm against capital punishment? No, it does not. It just means that I'm against Christ followers being involved in capital punishment, because if we're going to be consistent to our rabbi, he taught us to love our enemies. It's not loving to execute him or her. So that's where I'm at with it. But I recognize that the government does have that right. Now, what Dan had mentioned before is that a lot of times governments governments don't have the proper evidence or the evidence is confused and people, innocent people, get put on death row and end up getting executed. I believe there's a strong difference between this and getting in a car accident. Yeah. Right? That's I mean, once institutionalized, there's no, there's no law that we have that we know results in so many accidents a year. You know what I mean? It's not like there's there's a law saying you have to drive a car. There's no law saying you have to drive when it's snowy or when it's raining or when your tires are bald or when you're drunk. You know what I mean? There's no like institutionalization of some some cause of car accidents. This is an institutionalization of the cause of executing innocent people. So I feel like there is a strong difference. I mean, they're both based on probability, I guess. But that's a description. That's not a cause of what's happening. I agree with Sean that it is morally reprehensible to pay for convicted murderers to continue to live. Well, maybe not morally reprehensible, but it's definitely unfair. Like if you have committed a capital crime, and then you get a free pass for the rest of your life with cable TV and three meals a day, that is... I wouldn't use the term reprehensible, but it's certainly unfair. It's an injustice for that person to continue to enjoy their life. But how? Well, pause. Continue to enjoy. It's enjoyable to be in prison. Okay. Well, maybe you could argue that point. But um, let me let me say it like this: If I'm going to to fall on one side or another of an equation, I'd rather err on the side of mercy than on the side of too strict of judgment and then have collateral damage and victim, innocent victims that get swallowed up in, in the, the midst of my zeal to punish the wicked. You know what I mean? And uh, I think also, we made this point before, the evangelistic potential has to, has to be very important to our hearts that, okay, this person's wicked. Let's say they've killed a lot of people and... Yet God would still prefer that that person would turn from his evil ways and live than to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And if that's the heart of God, then that needs to be my heart. And 
like if you're living like we said before if you're living out in the jungle you don't have the facilities to like deal with criminals and then you have to just like either whip them fine them or kill them you know what i mean you don't really have incarceration but we do have incarceration and it's a huge institution at this point yeah so uh i say take advantage of it and maybe some missionary will get in there or he'll have a change of heart and this person can can change you know it doesn't mean they don't pay for their crimes but they have to change yeah i mean i don't have a ton to add to that my his objection is to my comment that it costs more to execute somebody than it does to keep them in life in prison we have degrees of murder in our penal code for a reason so there's first degree which is premeditated as far as i know that's the worst and then you have second third and fourth and you know somebody killed somebody in the 70s you know during a robbery say it wasn't premeditated maybe the guy maybe the robber thought the guy had a gun and he shot him because he thought he was going to get shot that's a different degree of murder than say lying in wait which is you know purposely intentionally executing somebody with you know prior intent so my question back to him would be is he proposing that if you kill somebody you you know regardless of the circumstances you shouldn't you know you shouldn't be incarcerated for the rest of your life for the cost of the taxpayer you should you should be killed you should yeah like should wh- where, where so where so where is that line first of all that line is decided upon by the court system i think we have a good criminal justice system in certain areas but there are a number of deficiencies in it and where prosecutors decide to go with their cases I'm much more comfortable paying taxes and having that person live out their days in prison than I am with my taxes going to just, you know what, you killed somebody, then you deserve death and we're going to kill you. I wouldn't be able to support that reality. I'm glad that we have degrees of murder in our penal system. I'm glad that we treat crimes. Did you say you would or wouldn't? I wouldn't want my taxes to go to executing people i'm much more comfortable with them going to as unfair to taxpayers and law-abiding citizens as as it may seem i wouldn't want fallible people in the criminal justice system deciding who lives and who dies and using my money to enact that uh, that punishment i think i i would disagree with you a little bit on this dan because my view is that if someone is and i was thinking about this too back to my noahide comment that was when this capital punishment was set up, too, by uh, if, if a man sheds another man's blood, then by blood, his life will be... Forfeited. By man, his blood will be shed. By man, his blood will be shed. So you have capital punishment really set up from Genesis 9 and running into the Torah and certainly afterwards as well, it's understood as something that governments do. Romans 13, we've mentioned in our episode on this. For me, there's no real issue with somebody who commits a capital crime and is guilty of it getting capital punishment. For me, that's not a problem. For me, the issue is what about these innocent people that get get swept along with the, the, the system and then are found out to be innocent later? I mean, the stats we covered on that were absolutely astounding. It feels like one person every so many decades or whatever, like that's that would be totally different. I mean, these were like, what was it, like dozens of people? I, I don't a remember lot. off the top of my head right now. I don't remember. But uh, it was just so many different people that are uh, either proven, have already been proven to be innocent, or are likely to be innocent in cases are open on them. And we just can't, we just can't get this, th- because of the nature of it, it's permanent, right? 
we can't we can't um, we can't get it wrong. It's just, there's no there are no take backs, right? Uh, I mean, you don't want to get it wrong with punishing anybody. Like you send somebody to jail for ten years, and then like at the nine and a half years, DNA evidence proves that they're innocent the whole time. Well, they could turn around, and sue whoever, and get a bunch of payout, uh, get get a bunch of money. Well, hopefully, and then you know, in a sense, sort of like be made right, be exonerated, have a life. But like if you execute somebody, that's it. So I'm not against execution per se. <coughs> I'm against uh, executing innocent people for sure. And, you know, I think if we look at the whole bent of Scripture, especially what Jesus Jesus taught us and how God has set up salvation through the cross and everything else, I want to err on the side of mercy once again. If if I have to fall on one or the other, if I can't fall right on the uh, the, the middle where justice is, is, is perfectly enacted— if there's a question, I'm gonna. I want to fall on the side of mercy because I do believe in second chances and repentance and all this. And at the same time, I recognize we don't want people like this wandering around in our society, killing more people. You know what I mean? So that's that's where I, I land on this. Uh, then he goes on. Sean goes on. Uh, he says, take note also that even with Paul as a for- former murderer and what he taught later, he said he didn't. He did any. If he did anything worthy of death, he'd submit to it. Acts twenty five eleven. Overarching all of this is clearly the most poignant thing of all. Without the death penalty, you would have no death of the Messiah and a risen Savior. Again, I know this is a huge topic, and I just thought I'd weigh in on a few things on my mind that I don't really think got full weight in the discussion. I think I also have more to say on the subject from Scripture because I used to hold the same view as many of you until I re-examined it. So, uh, well, thanks for writing in, Sean. I appreciate that. As far as your point about Jesus not being executed if he if there if there was no death penalty, uh, I think that's I, I don't really feel the force of that argument because of a couple of reasons. One is that it was a miscarriage of the death penalty yeah, that resulted in Jesus' death. It the Romans did not want to execute Jesus. They right. couldn't find any fault with him, even though they tried three or four times. Like, right. But in the end, he he um, he was executed because the Roman governor was outmaneuvered. Mm-hmm. Uh, by religious leaders that were jealous in one sense and also scared that if Jesus really did start gaining a lot of followers that it would lead to an uprising against the Romans, which of course it wouldn't. So that's a misunderstanding as well. And I also don't think that we can credit capital punishment with bringing about God's plan in this context. That to me is a little tenuous. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I don't think God's plan for salvation and redemption was contingent on the government at the time executing Jesus. Yeah, I was just thinking of this word uh, counterfactual. Have you ever heard that word? Kind of. Relating to or expressing what has not happened <laughs> or is not the case. Fake oh, news. Fake news. <laughs> uh, counterfactual conditional statement. If kangaroos had no tails, they would topple over. Uh, okay, so this this is this is partly why I don't feel the force of it. This is a counterfactual scenario. We're saying, okay, now if there wasn't a death penalty, then Jesus wouldn't have been executed by the government. I don't know. I mean, how, how do you how do you know that? I mean, wouldn't there have been other ways for for him to die as a result of it? Um, take for example Stephen in Acts seven. He gets executed by the Jews, who by law are forbidden from executing. 
for, from carrying out the cap, capital punishment. Which is funny because it's funny that he brought up Paul because by Sean's logic, Paul should have been... He said that even with Paul as a former murderer, he said if he did anything worthy of death, he'd submit to it. So by that logic, if Paul was a murderer, then Paul should have been executed and he never would have traveled throughout uh, throughout the land spreading the gospel and we wouldn't have the epistles. Yeah. I wonder if Paul really was a former murderer. I do too. I'm not, I'm not sold on that yeah. point. Because, I mean, we know he was there with Stephen holding the coats or watching the coats of the people. Uh, he said he took him. part in... Um, certainly arrested, rounded him up, but... I. I don't know if he actually killed anyone. Right. No, yeah, I'm not. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, since we're not sure about that, we're going to have to leave it there for today. Uh, Sean, uh, I hope we were able to give you some satisfying answers. Uh, I'm sure that some of what I said probably uh, will inspire more questions. So uh, if you'd like to carry the dialogue forward, forward <laughs> or if anyone else wants to add their voice, just check out restitudio.org and search for Offscript 37, Killing Criminals, A Christian View of Capital Punishment. Please be sure to listen to the regular episode first before listening to this Q&A. Otherwise, a lot of what we refer to here won't make sense um, and it will seem a, a, a little sparse as far as evidence. So check out the episode first and then please uh, Go ahead and, and reply to this so that we can get so we can keep this conversation going. I think this is a really important subject, and it's it's not nearly as clear cut as it seems. Well, that's it for today. I hope this episode got you thinking. If you want to check out other episodes in our responding to your questions and comments series, come online to restitudio.org or just check the show notes for this episode, and you can see that we've answered a number of other questions. If you want to engage here and leave a comment, we would love to hear from you. Just stop on by at restitudio.org and look for Offscript 45, Should Christians Support Capital Punishment Q&A. We have one more episode in this series of questions and answers, and it deals with the question of abortion. And actually, all three of us get in on the answer to that one. So stay tuned for that. We really bring out a number of perspectives and have some disagreement and but uh, also in a respectful manner on that episode. So stay tuned for that next time. Also, if you have suggestions for further Offscript series episodes, we'd love to hear them. You can email me at sean at restitudio.org, S-E-A-N at restitudio.org with suggestions for other topics that you would like to hear discussed. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time as we seek to get off the world script and live out authentic Christianity.